Welcome to Interlocutor Interviews. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine, which features in-depth coverage of creators, thinkers, performers, and artists of all types. You can check us out online at interlocutorinterviews.com. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up uh, to be a subscriber or contributor via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. So today I've got with me artist Vaughn Sumner, who currently has a solo show at uh, Washington, D.C.'s Morton Fine Art called Second Nature, uh, which features his interpretations of the iconic and influential newspaper cartoon character Crazy Cat, who was created way back in 1913 by George Harriman um, and whose strip became a favorite of comics aficionados and art critics for its uh, poetic surrealism, playfulness, and and just just general uh, weirdness. So, <laughs> welcome, Vaughn. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's nice to do this. Yeah, nice to nice to have you here. Um, so, uh, let's just kick it off by saying so. This is your second show, I believe, at Morton, um, featuring the Crazy Cat character, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. And the first one was called Crazy Times, right? Back in 2021? Yes, exactly. Okay. It, was a, uh, it, was a, it was a pretty different body of work, even though it's the same character. But it was, um, you know, that was closer. That was, that was work conceived and done still really in the thick of the pandemic. Mm-hmm period which like i guess we're in the sort of in between times right now but right (laughs) hopefully well we'll see it feels like a slightly different context um so this body of work is like a little bit of a departure or a uh a second step another step after that yeah, and I wanted to get into it. Your 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 work um, doing these paintings, just featuring Crazy Cat, which you've done pretty much it looks like since the beginning of the pandemic. And then um, looking at your work on your site with Crazy Cat, I kind of see an evolution in, in how you depict the character. Um, but first, um, <clears throat> I'd like to rewind back to your first encounter with Crazy Cat because. You were introduced to the strip and its other main characters. And uh, correct me if I mispronounce any of these. Is Ignatz Mouse? Yeah, I think that's right. Ignatz. Ignatz Mouse. And then Officer Bill Pup. Officer Pup. (laughs) Officer Pup. (laughs) And then the setting is kind of very surreal. Uh, Like the it's Coconino County, I believe is how it's pronounced. Yeah, yeah, that's how I would pronounce it too. It's a kind of um imaginary It's like an um, it's like a fictionalized imaginary version of somewhere in the southwest of the United States, you know. Right. Yeah. And so you were introduced to this character Crazy Cat and the strip by your longtime mentor and friend uh Wayne Tebow. Yeah, Tebow. Yeah, and so you were really young when you were introduced to this strip. Um, I think I think I read eighteen. You were you were just taking an introductory class with him. Well, it wasn't an introductory class actually. Okay. Uh, I wasn't allowed to take that class. 
Oh. <laughs> um, like Tebow was the whole reason that I even applied to UC Davis in the first place. You know, I was, I was, uh, applying to schools, to colleges and high school. And, um, I just had some kind of gut feeling like I wanted to go somewhere where I, where I didn't know people mm-hmm. and, um, find my own way somehow, you know, I had a lot of, I, I grew up in a place where, our high school was very competitive and, you know, the schools were really good. It was like a lot of my friends went to Ivy league schools and stuff. And I just had some kind of gut feeling of like, I wanted something a little bit different. So I saw Tebow's name on the list of faculty and I just applied. And then when I got in, I visited Davis and I just sort of felt right. So this class that you joined with, uh, Tebow. Um, so what was it? Was it an advanced class that you weren't technically supposed to be in or how did you get into it? Right. I was, I was a freshman and it was for upper division juniors and seniors, majors, art majors. And I was not allowed to take it, but I just went to class every day and sat in the back and took notes and listened, you know? Yeah. Great. Um, and so one day he comes in, you know, I don't know. It was pretty early in the semester. It was, you know, week three or four or something. He just, we all come in, he walks in, you know, he was in his mid seventies when I was, when I was at Davis. So he was, uh, kind of from central casting of like old (laughs) university professor. He'd walk in with his bow tie and the jacket and love it stack of books and stand at the podium, turn down (laughs) the lights yeah. He puts a slide on the screen, you know, and starts talking about art. And this one day he comes in, he puts a crazy cat comic up on the screen and starts telling uh, telling us about George Harriman and this comic strip that artists had loved. And I had never heard of that. I didn't know anything about that, you know? Right. I was a comics fan growing up, but I had never heard of Crazy Cat. Yeah, you know, and personally, I I had heard of crazy cat um but i did kind of a deeper dive just very recently and was really blown away by it because it's so his sensibility is so um kind of modern and almost psychedelic yeah you know i'm looking at these strips from like 100 plus years ago yeah um and yeah they're 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 incredible and i think even today are kind of out there you know Absolutely. It's part of that art. It's part of that art from that period. You know, it's things were kind of um, a little more adventurous in some ways, you know, sort of like pre-code Hollywood and like, all right, there's some pretty far out stuff. I, I, this is, this is just kind of out on a limb, but it does feel like we're in a more culturally conservative time now, actually, than maybe a hundred years ago, at least in, I mean, I can't imagine crazy cat happening now. I can't imagine, um, the, the sort of insanity of that strip being received in the same way. I don't know. I I think that, there would you know still be a place for it, but not yeah. not kind of with the reach that it had 
then um i did read that uh hearst was a huge fan right and that's i think that's the only reason that it really (laughs) kept going like it wasn't a huge uh hit in terms of readership you know it was kind of a cult favorite from the beginning right hearst just recognized that that harriman was a genius and was like you know he just kept him employed it was amazing Anyway, um, yeah, I went to the library. I had never heard of it. And it was the way that he introduced it was so perfect. Just hit me just right at the right time. I went to the library. I checked out the one book that the library had on Crazy Cat. It's got this introduction, this famous essay now by uh, E.E. Cummings talking about what the strip is about. And um, I just became kind of obsessed. I I was riding the train back and forth to the Bay area a lot. I would go home on the weekends. Cause I was like homesick freshman year, you know? Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time just on the train reading and then drawing from crazy cat comics and just lost in the whole world. I loved the playfulness of the language, the yeah. inventiveness of the backgrounds and the way that things were always shifting and changing. It just, um, it was obviously hard to access at the beginning, you know, right. but I think because Tebow introduced it, because it was coming from him, and then the way that he framed it as like, oh, painters love this, you know? Right. <laughs> it, it, it was just enough to force me to stick with it long enough to really absorb it and tune in to this crazy wavelength that George Harriman was on, you know? Yeah, yeah. And had you encountered other styles that were similar to that? Like, how, why do you think it resonated with you so much at that age? Or theme, or like the, the, the themes of it? Like, what, what was it that really That's got under your question. skin? I, well, you know, I was a, I was a comics fan always. And mm-hmm. I loved, um, I did love old weird things. I just, you know, for whatever reason, I liked, I liked old things, you know, um, I liked, I liked old music too. You know, at that time I was already interested in the music of that time period, you know, Louis Armstrong and that whole, I was getting into that. So I had a little bit of cultural context of like, I don't know. And then I also loved, you know, watching cartoons as a kid. um, That I liked the reruns of old things, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. know if you had the same experience, but like there was, they would rerun old Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies and sure. Yeah. I mean the original, like the Popeye cartoons were on. Yeah the Betty Boop ones, they would play them. (laughs) And um, it felt like a really great kind of time travel to me. And like, um, almost like archaeology, you know, like cultural anthropology, just by watching these cartoons and going like, where are these people coming from? Like, why is that funny? What clothes are they wearing? Um, What are these jokes about? You know, I didn't know the references. I didn't know who Bing Crosby was or why the (laughs) <laughs> like what the parody was that they were doing, but there was just something about that that was always intriguing to me. So crazy cat just sort of hit just right at the right time for me. And then how do you think it could you, 
so if I'm not mistaken, you didn't directly return to Crazy Cat until like 2020 or so, right? In your work? Yeah. So like when I was in college, I definitely, I drew from the strips and I tried to kind of like, I did collages where I would use Crazy Cat in that or something. It was, it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was pretty predictable uh, a way of trying to just, you know, incorporate things that you love when you're a student and just sort of like influences and stuff. You know, I was, I was doing that kind of thing, more like collages. Right. Now, for people who, and and there's probably a lot of people out there still who don't really know about this strip, and and the way that also that you present Crazy Cat is singular, like it's just Crazy Cat, um, kind of off doing their thing. And also the interesting aspect of Crazy Cat is this fluidity to their identity. Um, you know, I, I I've in the past couple of days I've read pieces about like the this is like the first gender fluid character or, you it's know, it's a great, yeah. One. Did you read the, the New Yorker yeah. article <laughs> about that? That was really well done. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the whole, the Michael Tisseran biography is really great. I mean, once I started, once I was painting crazy cat, I was like, okay, well now I have to read everything for real. Um, <laughs> and yeah, all of those things are very interesting and attractive to me particularly about the character but um i guess i'm it's like i'm aware that i'm taking crazy cat out of context it's almost like a like crazy cat is a real person to me you know it's like <laughs> if you were painting um the whole tradition of like history paintings and and mythology paintings like i'm just treating crazy cat as a historical figure you know this is abraham lincoln <laughs> walking down yeah. the street or something and i was like well no there's crazy cat <laughs> <laughs> and um i don't necessarily need people to know any of those references when they see the paintings hopefully like my paintings hopefully right. if you know the crazy cat comic strip you'll have a whole other layer of of resonances but i don't i don't expect people to know crazy cat from mickey mouse or anything you know i don't know yeah and you know, the whole like theme of the strip was almost like this unrequited yeah. love, right? Like, uh, yeah. or, uh, or misinterpretation from crazy cat with like uh, this Ignatz, right. Who was always throwing yeah. bricks at crazy cat who interpreted that as affection. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, office of pup intervening and it's incredible how much mileage, um, you know, uh, he got out of that, of that, that storyline. Um, it's like an old, it's like an old vaudeville kind of, or, um, Commedia dell'arte setup. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. just a perfect little setup that starts in a very slapstick, uh, cartoonish way. And then it's amazing how fast Harriman touches on some kind of profound stuff. And, um, yeah. So for me, the way that it happened was I was, I had painted myself and, and pretty a more conventional uh, using photographic references and stuff, painting figures uh, for years, for years and years. And I was, I was looking for a change, you know, I was tired of what I was doing. I wanted a new direction, territory, Mm -hmm. and I was doing a series of kind of 
symbolic fires, dumpster fires and trash fires and stuff. Yeah, I've looked at those. And they were in in like alleys and sidewalks. And, you know, I was thinking about kind of urban environments that I had lived in and been around. Right. And so in a few of those, I just put like an alley cat walking along. Um, just from baby, from my memory, you know, little cats that would be in the alleyway behind my dad's picture frame shop. And, um, you know, you just see them hanging out. So it was like a way of, it was a way of putting a figure into the work that wasn't a figure. You know, it was like, it let me put some kind of being into the picture, but it wasn't the thing that I was trying to transition away from in a way, you know? Right. But then did you ever imagine that you would return directly to the character of crazy cat in, in, in such a um, focused way? Um, I mean, what was the impetus? It, it does sound like the pandemic was kind of, was kind of the impetus for you to really start focusing on that character in particular it was it's it's kind of a long story and i and i don't want to bore you with the whole thing but it basically it speaks to the way that painting even though um people think of it as a very solitary art form and it is like when you're making a painting it's it's usually most often a very solitary form um but it's also collaborative the way that artists talk to each other so crazy cat came to me from tebow and he was passing it on from de kooning or whoever had introduced him to it you know what mm-hmm. i mean um or the, i'm sure that didn't introduce him to it but like it was passed along. So then it came through Tebow to me. And then when I was painting those alley cats and dumpster fires, one of my good art friends, Randall Cabe, who knew uh, my association with crazy cat and Tebow and that whole thing, he, he knew, like he knew me, you know, he's like my best friend. So he's, he's looking at my paintings and he says, well, what if that alley cat was crazy cat? Oh, you know, (laughs) Yeah, he saw that he gave me permission in a way that I was not aware of yet. Yeah. And as and he said that and I kind of laughed, you know, and he's like, no, really, you should try it. Just like just do it for me. So I painted a couple to show him, make him laugh. And then I'm I'm looking at them and going like, that's kind of interesting, though. Like, that's weird. Yeah. I wonder. And then I brought those paintings to Tebow. Um for a studio visit and I showed him a bunch of the paintings that I was working on. And then at the very end, I bring out those two first crazy cat paintings. And he said something about accessibility. He said, these these are interesting in terms of accessibility. Huh? And I thought he meant no one's going to know what the reference is. This is not accessible. (laughs) And he said, no, the opposite. He said, uh, everybody can empathize with this character in a way that not necessarily everybody does with a human being. Like we have so much baggage about people. (laughs) Yeah. But there's something about a cartoon character or this, this language of, of cartooning that kind of lets everybody in on the joke, even if they don't know the reference, you know? So the fact that he was encouraging about it 
was interesting to me, but I still didn't know what to do with it until the pandemic happened. It was all of that was sort of late 2019. But then it was once there was like lockdown and the world seemed to kind of turn upside down, then it seemed really obvious like, oh, I know what to do with Crazy Cat. Yeah. And uh, so that it just sort of like Crazy Cat became my um like my companion through that weird time and a way of processing all of that and kind of reconnecting um the present with the past it became really interesting to me that crazy cat was from a hundred years ago and like there was a pandemic exactly a hundred years ago and thinking about the resonances that were going on from that time to this time and how those you know and also like that first period of lockdown made such a rupture in our experience of time yeah for sure Uh, it just and it's never felt the same to me since then so something about that it sort of allowed crazy cat to feel present to me again and like oh yeah uh they're here (laughs) (laughs) what would crazy cat be doing you know what if and then it's just like then it just sort of the jokes write themselves or the paintings ideas just it's like, well, what what if Crazy Cat had to go to the grocery store to buy some toilet paper? Like, what would happen? You know, <laughs> what would that look like? And I couldn't help it. And then it just became irresistible. Like, I've got to I got to see that. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at um, some of your early Crazy Cat works. From, there's this one from 2020 called Fun Huh, <laughs> which is which has got every like kind of comic, I don't know, trope in it. Like he. He's about to step on a banana peel. There's a roller. There's a roller <laughs> skate. There's a rake. There's an open manhole. There's a a, a bomb with a fuse lit. There is a burning trash can. Um, there's like a mallet about to hit him. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you that you point out that painting. That that painting is basically the bridge painting. That painting started in like 2018. Oh wow. And it was just a sidewalk scene with a trash can. <laughs> and I was honestly trying to make it as minimal as possible. I was just like, what if it yeah. was like this minimal trash can sidewalk scene? And in my head, that sounded cool. And then I did it, or I started it, and it was like, that's really boring. And then I'm sitting there in the studio, and I just intuitively paint a banana peel on the ground. Yeah. To kind of like liven it up, right? Yeah. And then I don't know where that banana peel came from. It was just like, what if I'll just do it? I'll just try it. And it made me laugh. And I always trust that as a part of the creative process. Like, yeah, something consistently makes me crack up. Then that's like, that's valid to me, you know? Um, So then it was just like, oh, well, then after the banana peel, then it was like, you're saying it's all the cartoon tropes. Like, well then how many could I fit in there? But it was still like, there was a rake. There was, I set the trash can on fire, but there was nobody in the picture. It was just like, a. it became a kind of a display of those cartoon gags. 
Yeah. And then once I started painting Crazy Cat in some of those smaller paintings, I went back to that one and I was like, oh, that's who's in this painting. That's who's walking into this banana <laughs> peel. <laughs> yeah. I also noticed that there's a there's a stray mask on the, the ground, too. That came after COVID, obviously. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, and then just going from there, you have all these other images, uh, Crazy Cat on a skateboard and smoking a cigarette against a wall. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And one thing that I I noticed uh, over the last like three years that you've been doing this is going from kind of like there, there's this starkness, you know, these urban settings, which is also present. I see in, in your other work, your previous work, and then it gets a little richer and richer. Um, And especially leading up to, um, you know, what I'm assuming was your, your previous show um, where it gets a little bit more colorful and, and it kind of starts resembling a little bit more of Harriman's uh, world, right. With the kind of the surreal um, landscapes, although they're not necessarily Southwestern, all of them. Um, Yeah. It's, it's sort of like taking permission from Harriman to, mm -hmm. to stylize nature, you know, not right. wanting to necessarily copy his environment literally. It's like I don't want I don't want to just do the comic strip, right? It's it's right. uh it's more like um it's more like sampling or um collaging <laughs> and you know um That's a good way to put it. Yeah. One thing that's been on my mind a lot recently because of the I don't know if you're a fan of De La Soul, but like I grew oh, right. up, I grew up with De La Soul. Those first three albums came out right when I was like 13, 14, 15. Yeah. When music means the most to you, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think we're around the same age. And so, okay. yeah, I, I got into De La Soul around the same time. And I mean, my, my mind was blown at 14 or whatever that was when three feet high and rising came out because of how uh-huh. playful and inventive and like, it was so fun and so right. brilliant the way that every reference was just layered and collaged and sampled. Uh, so there's something about painting crazy cat that feels a little bit like that to me, like the culture of sort of, uh, borrowing things and then trying to recontextualize them in a new way. Yeah, for sure. And then, so this current series, uh, first of all, I wanted to ask like what, what the title second nature means to you, like in, in, you know, regarding the work itself. Oh, (laughs) It's open-ended. I think, uh, I mean, or it's sort of a, there's multiple meanings. Second nature in terms of just doing what comes naturally to me is like, uh, to me, painting is second nature, drawing is second nature. Right. So it's a, it's a double with that. And then a reference to putting crazy cat into a natural environment and just sort of thinking about, um, there's sort of background, the context of it now, like all the climate change crisis and that, you know, very much on my mind, but then not necessarily 
aiming the paintings at any one kind of meaning or didactic, you know, they're not like literally about climate change or trying to be some kind of like uh, didactic message, but it's more like um, just thinking a lot about the natural environment, paying attention to it, um, appreciating it, you know, like Mm -hmm. just, just, um, all those things. So it's sort of a double reference like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And there's a lot of kind of, I would say whimsy to some of this, like, like, uh, this painting, crazy pumpkin or crazy <laughs> looking at this, <laughs> which, you know, you could, I guess, argue that it's almost like a gen- genetically modified pumpkin It's enormous. Um, but right. more uh, of like a, more of like a general, uh, trigger from thinking about climate change and our relationship to nature as being um there's also fear in relation to nature right you know like uh, like a Werner Herzog documentary talking about you know (laughs) the monumental indifference of nature (laughs) <laughs> it's like there's something also frightening about it because it's so powerful and we're at its mercy and uh-oh what have we done to to so yeah. the idea of sort of nature gone funny like like yeah the, like the weather feeling like did it used to be like this did it always rain like this was it did was it this hot before yeah what if that what if that thing changes that thing that we just took for granted for so long so the pumpkin being big like that i think it comes somehow out of that well there's also this uh melancholy cat this the title of one of the one of the works or crazy cats sitting under this very ominous black cloud <laughs> and then, then there's crazy storm um uh where crazy cats looking out over this gorge like this river gorge with this kind of ominous lightning bolt um and i wanted to get into because you're 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 also referencing works uh, of other artists in you know who i think um uh well for instance horse and rider right you know there's there's more than one of these i believe in this series um you know which are derived from degas right the the horse sculptures that horse is stolen directly from Degas, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, down here in Southern California, there's a great museum called the Norton Simon. Have you ever been to the Norton Simon? I don't think so, no. Beautiful place. If you're ever out in L.A., you got to go check it out. And they have some of the, the Degas horse sculptures there. I know D.C. and the National Gallery, there's a great collection there, too, of those little horse, horse sculptures, and I love those. And uh, yeah, so I was I was up at the Norton Simon one day and doing a little drawing from one of those sculptures. And then just it's the mode that my brain is on right now. It just automatically puts Crazy Cat into that context and just kind of, you know, checks it. Like, is that interesting? What if Crazy Cat's on that horse? Then what? You know? Um, yeah. No, I, I decided I don't know the work on paper version of that came later because it felt like maybe that horse was not going fast enough. The work on paper (laughs) is more of like a, 
cartoon version of a horse. It's a pose that a horse would never do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was also like the one that I just mentioned where Crazy Cat is standing in front of the river gorge, Crazy Storm. Yeah. It's almost like a, a Frederick Church kind of landscape. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's actually, it's, um, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a painting that um, relates to the sampling idea that I was talking about. The way that it's like, it's not even just internet culture. It's, uh, I don't know if it's postmodern. The way that we make things from other things or the way that we're juxtaposing and collaging things like like sampling, like those De La Soul albums. Um, so that's like Crazy Cat combined with uh, a famous painting called The Tempest by Giorgione. Hmm. And I changed it. I mean, I, I altered it, but it's, but that's, it comes from that combination. And then it's like, is that, is that anything? Does that, is that worth pursuing and turning into a painting? A lot of times I'll scrape things off and I'll, you know, I'll try something and then it'd be like, no, that's not it. But um, that one, I really enjoyed putting together and trying to kind of, um, I guess, riff off of that other painting. I changed the landscape some too, but it's the basic it's the basic format of that Giorgione painting. There's also a lot of um, bathing. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, the, there's several bather cat um, and they're very stylized. Um, it's almost as if uh, like the ripples from the water. Uh, crazy cat is kind of being almost consumed by, are those referencing anything in particular? Well, it depends on the, piece a lot of those are on paper and so the the material makes a a big difference you know it's like because they're paintings the the color the shape the way that the paint acts a lot of that is primary as i'm making the paintings it's like a lot of that is just about the material and the process and then mm -hmm. how do i paint water and also trying to combine conventions that come from painting with conventions that come from cartooning and seeing if I can get them to kind of meet in a balance that feels right to me or that feels uh, like my own territory of combining other things, you know? Right. Um, so it's just thinking about that and the way, and it's really interesting to me, the way that cartoons in the way that we think of them in the 21st century have a lineage going all the way back to things like cave paintings or, you know, Egyptian tomb paintings, the, the zigzag water kind of stylized thing. I stole from Egyptian tomb paintings from a ah. few thousand years ago, you know, that also kind of mirrors uh crazy cat's trademark zigzag tail. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which... So that kind of echoing, yeah, and that's and so the painting 
uh, it takes on a life of its own. It starts from some kind of idea or an impulse or something, but then it's like, yeah, oh, that water echoes the tail, of course. Oh, the arm of crazy cat echoes the arm of the tree, of course. You know, it's like a a dialogue yeah. between. And Crazy Cat is this fascinating character where it's somewhere between a human and a animal. Right. Or maybe it's about, you know, humans are animals and it's it's trying to find some kind of a closer to nature version of humans or something. Yeah. Well, then also you have the... <laughs> obvious Bugs Bunny reference, like the what's up cat <laughs> to with the carrot. So there's crazy cat in a, in a hole, like <laughs> partially in a, in a, in a hole, like e- eating a carrot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> a lot of these ideas come from weird places. Sometimes like, um, it'll just be a phrase that I hear or that I'm thinking about. So one day I was thinking about like underground the way that we talk about artists and things as like underground, you know, Oh, I love that. (laughs) Uh, Some underground musician or underground (laughs) uh, activist or something. So then I'm starting, then I'm drawing crazy cat. Like what would that look like? What would crazy cat look like if you were underground sort of like a visual pun, right? Yeah, totally. And then it's just instantly because I grew up watching these cartoons and stuff. I think of Bugs Bunny. It's like, oh yeah, they used to do that on those on those Bugs Bunny cartoons. And then that just leads to, well, what if what if Crazy Cat were coming out of the rabbit hole like Bugs Bunny and doing that pose? And that's just sort of so stupid that it cracks me up and I couldn't <laughs> help. Then I needed to see it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you never. One, it had any impulse to reference the other main characters. I, I We might have touched on this a little bit already, but, you know, like Ignatz and Office of Pup, kind of recontextualizing them. Um, what was your uh, decision just to completely remove them and focus only on Crazy Cat? <clears throat> yeah, it's hard to articulate. It's some kind of feeling that, like, It's more about the sort of individual. It's like Crazy Cat by themselves is a kind of stand-in, a proxy for us, uh, like an effigy. But then the second it becomes the other characters, then it's more literally about the crazy cat comic strip and something about that feels too literal to me. Um, I'm interested in it in a little bit different way than that. It's like, um, I don't know, at least at this point. And, you know, like if you think of the tradition of sort of like man and nature art, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, Casper David Friedrich landscape, romantic paintings like that. Right. It's interesting to me to think of Crazy Cat in relation to that. Yeah. Or, um, you know, like I've talked about, maybe in relation to something like a Samuel Beckett play or something. Something about <laughs> those combinations are more interesting to me than than to literally do the comic strip and bring in those other characters. I don't know, at least at this point, you know, like never say never, but... yeah. I did try some 
where Ignatz, I mean, the most obvious one is Ignatz. It's like they, they kind of are inseparable, right? Like in right. The street, they're, they're part of each other in a way. Um, so I did some where Ignatz is more of like graffiti on the wall or, uh, <laughs> I even did some, I don't know if I've, if I've posted them anywhere, but I did some where crazy cat is like a cave painter in a cave and, oh, wow. and they're drawing Ignatz on the wall <clears throat> instead of the cave painter drawing the, the animals <laughs> they're hunting or whatever. It's like drawing Ignatz. Yeah. So I tried some things like that and um, I don't know. Also just on a practical level, like Ignatz is a stick figure. Ignatz is not very conducive to like uh, the way that I'm painting crazy cat, which is like, I'm kind of changing crazy cat too and pushing it a little bit more toward figure in the painting sense. Or, I mean, I spent, countless hours drawing from live models as I was a student and then as a teacher. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, trying to give crazy cat a little more anatomy and make that connection between, uh, the human and the animal a little more obvious. I think Ignatz is yeah. just a stick figure. It's not yeah. it doesn't work yet in these things. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be, I'll be interested to see if, if you find a way to interpret Ignatz. Yeah in the future um, more, more directly. I think Um, part of the spirit of this whole thing is like what George Harriman gives artists, which is so valuable is this sort of almost anarchic, anything goes spirit, you know? Right. So wherever there's a rule, it's like, break it. (laughs) So um, (laughs) at some point I'm sure I'll break that rule too. And I'll put Ignatz in there or something. I don't know. One thing I, why I was I was wondering is uh, so is Crazy Cat just in the public domain now? That's how you're able to use the character, or, or are there any what are what are the legalities of this? And the other part of this question is like, have you heard um, from? Is there a harem in a state? How 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 is the the, the legacy of the of crazy of the Crazy Cat strip managed now? That whole thing is an interesting topic in art in general um Mm -hmm. i forget the guy's name but there's a professor at stanford that writes a lot and works a lot on kind of public domain and all of that um personally there's a big there's a big uh permission for artistic license for things like paintings um I mean, I'm, I'm not the first person to paint crazy cat at all. You know, like the list of people who've painted crazy cat is great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) from Robert Rauschenberg to Elmer Bischoff to Jess, there's an old Bay area artist named Jess, you know, all kinds of, you know, you name it. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of permission for artists to do that. And there was an artist at Stanford, actually, when I was growing up around there, named Enrique Chagoya, who was doing a lot of Disney stuff and kind of using Mickey Mouse as this sort of colonialist, uh, <laughs> you know, like, figure of terror. Um, 
there's an artist named Joe Brainard back in New York in the 70s and 80s who did this series based on Lucy. No, Nancy, I'm sorry, Nancy, an old another old comic strip character. Um there's all kinds of precedent for artists using these things. I mean, Philip Gustin was ripping off um Mutton Jeff, Bud Fisher uh left and right you know so it's it's kind of like uh there's a great tradition of theft among artists and um (laughs) i guess i'm participating in that it doesn't when you're making an oil painting or whatever it's different than if i were trying to uh mass produce uh something that was i don't know what the copyright laws are frankly but I'm not trying to make t-shirts or stickers or claim any kind of intellectual property. Right. And that's part of like, that's part of the point to me is to sort of um, relinquish, relinquish authorship. Um, And, and I like the way that all of this discussion undercuts the sort of mythology of the artist as this sort of like lone singular genius that's coming up with stuff out of nowhere you know it's just yeah that's not that's not true art you know all originality is borrowed as my teacher (laughs) mike henderson would always say you know it's and george harriman was borrowing from other people too and um you know yeah and i get the impression that harriman would probably really appreciate the what you've done how you've kind of you know re whatever you want to call it recontextualized or re you know, reimagined crazy. I cat. hope, I hope I <laughs> shudder to think like it would be if he, if he, uh, if he were here and he gave me a thumbs down, I would stop. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, who knows? I do know, you know, wh- it's all done out of love. I'll say that. And this, this is again, back to the music and sampling thing. It's like, right when a when a dj or a, a a producer samples a record or you know uses they're doing things that they love they're they're using a drum break because it's so great and they and it's a kind of common language so i'm a huge believer in public don- domain and that um Basically, we should all be allowed to play with whatever. And anybody listening to this, I invite them to paint Crazy Cat. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not anything that I own. It's a it's a right. it's our friend. It's everybody's friend. And um, it's all there for the taking. It's just sort of like, well, what do you do with it? You know, what's what's the context? What's the environment? How do you for me, it's a jumping off point more than an end point, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And I was also wondering, you know, just out of my own curiosity, and for people listening who are not familiar with with Crazy Cat, just off the top of your head, um, can you suggest like a couple of collections that people might want to pick up that are yeah, a good intro? It's the Fantagraphics collection. The 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 publisher Fantagraphics mm-hmm. has been doing a amazing and comprehensive um re remastering if you will of the crazy cat catalog yeah uh, and 
I'm a personal fan of all of the work of the 20s. I kind of feel like that's the sweet spot, at least for me, of Crazy Cat. But, um, yeah. If you just get any of those Fantagraphics collections of any of those, you know, 20s strips. Um, and I personally favor the black and white ones to the Sunday color ones. Oh, know? interesting. Huh. Um, Why is Aaron, that? Herman's totally in control of the black and white ones. It's like you're reading his diary. It's so direct, you know? Yeah. When it came to the color ones, he wasn't really in charge even of how they colored them. He would give notes and stuff, but it was very limited in terms of what they could do with color strips in comics in the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Um, And all of that becomes really interesting. Like, there's conjecture about, like... This is one thing that I used to talk to Wayne uh, Tebow about. We would say like, well, if he were doing it now, what would he, what colors would those be? Do we think, you know, Um, there's something about the black and white, the way that he uses black Mm. is so beautiful. It sort of is enough. You know what I mean? It doesn't need color. Um, There's just something so stark and graphic and, creative it's the way that limitations sometimes are really good for creativity you know right yeah well that's interesting because so far my limited exposure to crazy cat have have been those um you know uh full color sunday kind of complex displays and they're great i mean they're beautiful yeah but i didn't realize that he didn't he didn't really have control over the color the, the palette choice really not in the same way that he had control over the black and white. I mean, that's all, yeah. that's all him. Yeah. And, um, they're bigger than I would think, you know, when you see an original Harriman panel, they're big. I mean, obviously this is what cartoonists already know this, but they would draw them bigger and then shrink them down for right. print and things sort of look nicer and cleaner and more photo ready that way. But I didn't, I didn't know any of that. I was just looking at the printed versions of them. So when I saw them in person, you see his little erasures and pencil marks and the way that he's inked. Uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he also, he also played around with uh, the, the way that the panels were depicted, at least from what I've seen in the the color strips. Yeah, exactly. Like, like they're, and, and that kind of adds to the trippy, like what I said, like an almost psychedelic aspect to them with the, the, some of the panels are tilted um they're 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 kind of uh you know like reflective of whatever is happening in the in the narrative it seems like which is really cool it's so great they're changing all the time the backgrounds are changing sometimes it's like zigzags and and you know harriman loved navajo blankets and Uh, uh, yeah and pottery so some of those designs are taken from there he's originally from new orleans which is like you know the the swamp melting pot of culture of the united states i would argue more than new york even at that time it's like yeah you know he spoke several languages right um yeah and then he had this very stylized language in the in the strip itself too he's playing with that every word is up for grabs the way he's going to spell it the way you know yeah 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 
And then there was also the the fact that he was mixed race too. Um, and exactly. Then, and then tried to hide that. Um, Everything about extent. it. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 Tisseran did a great job of this in the biography, like making the connection between the complexity of Harriman as a person and his experience, you know, in the United States um, and how that complexity gets translated and sort of like, you know, shot through a prism into this amazing uh <laughs> creative outlet of this cartoon strip um it's just a fascinating i mean to me again i don't know if any of this carries into my paintings but it is stuff that i think about the harriman uh life his life his biography and the times that he lived at lived in and where he lived, New York, LA, coming from New Orleans, mm-hmm. Southwest, like it encapsulates so much about whatever this country is that is um yeah, it's so rich and I'm yeah. and I am really interested in like the way that we're always trying to define uh what this country even is, you know, what is America and who gets to define it and how, and like, yeah. Uh, Harriman's life is a great way of looking at that and thinking about that as, and just how complex and nuanced and, um, personal everything becomes. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. I, I'm definitely going to go deeper into reading about his life and, I just want to see more of the the crazy cat work too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I, I, and I encourage listeners to also explore and go down, go down, you know, <laughs> those rabbit holes, pun intended. Um, <clears throat> it's dense, you know, I mean, one of the things that I love about it is um, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult <laughs> And I always liked, I, I was kind of primed for that. Um, yeah. I like the kind of art where you have to, you have to go to it. You have to meet it halfway. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't reveal itself too quickly. Crazy Cat is like that. It's a, it's a kind of a challenging thing, even though it's a cartoon strip. It's full of contradictions yeah. that are, uh, to me, really inspiring and interesting. I was thinking a lot of um, Calvin and Hobbes, too, when I was looking at some of them. Like, I thought, how to... Who was the creator of Calvin and Hobbes? I should, uh, I can't Bill Watterson, I, I think so. Yeah. Calvin and Hobbes was great. There's, there's tons of cartoonists, and they're more articulate than I am about why George Harriman is so great as a cartoonist. There's a lot of those Fantagraphics books have, have printed some essays and commentary from other cartoonists, contemporary cartoonists talking about, but yeah, uh, Dr. Seuss, hugely influenced by George Harriman. Oh, of course. Yeah. Chuck Jones, Chuck Jones of the Roadrunner cartoons. Yeah. Hugely. I mean, he's basically stealing Coconino County. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And even Walt Disney, I mean, there's a mouse. You know, <laughs> right. If you combine Crazy Cat and Ignatz, yeah. <laughs> it's not too far to get to Mickey Mouse. And uh George Harriman was well before Walt Disney. I mean, there's people those, you know, it starts as its own strip in 1913, but I think it started in 1911 as like a little sort of substrip and sometimes mm-hmm. thing, you know? Right. The same way The Simpsons started, kind of like that. Oh, yeah. On like, well, the Tracy Ullman show. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. little, it was sort of a sideshow and then it was yeah. <laughs> more fully hashed out. So anyway, Walt yeah. Disney would have grown up looking at those and inspired by those, you know, countless people. Yeah, yeah. Once you get into it, um, it's sort of a... I also love that about the way that I was introduced to it. It's it's very pre-internet, you know, it's like right. word of mouth, you know. One, you need a gateway, uh, <laughs> a person who introduces you, like the old record store, and you walk in and somebody says, hey, have you heard this one, you know? Yeah, yeah. Something about that connection. Oh, that that person at the record store thought this was cool. I should check it out. So it was like Wayne Tebow saying, check out crazy cat. Yeah. Totally different than me. Just sort of like finding it on my own somehow. (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe now you yourself will serve that kind of (laughs) purpose for young artists who that would be, uh, that would be an ideal, (laughs) an ideal outcome of all these things. I don't know. Whoa, crazy cat. I got to check this out. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Yeah. So this show, um, is it up, uh, if I'm not mistaken, until April 8th, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, great. Right. Yeah. And again, that's at Morton Fine Art in DC. And I also want to mention that um, when I put this episode up, I'm going to put a page up on the Interlocutor website um, with links to the, the the gallery page um i might embed a, a couple of, of of your own works from the show as well just so listeners can have a, a visual reference and and easy links to click on if they want to look at more work so that'll be up with the show um and yeah well it was great talking with you vaughn you too uh, thank you so much for the conversation yeah and also Thanks to those of you out there listening. You can check out the online edition of Interlocutor Magazine. It's interlocutorinterviews.com. And check for updates on Instagram. It's at interlocutor.interviews. And once again, if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or throw a few bucks our way via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. And I will be back soon with another Interlocutor Interviews podcast episode. And once more, thank you, Vaughn. Thank you. Take it easy, Tyler. Yeah, you too.